um, just a little side note. Um, I, last night was my last uh, night of taking Tamiflu, which gets rid of the flu, but I'm feeling a little loopy. Um, I think it's a side effect from the medicine. <laughs> so if I ever appear disoriented, I am. All right? All right. So um, uh, I think it was a week ago. Uh, was it a week ago we went to Paris? Was that last Saturday? Yeah. Um, last Saturday, we went to Paris for my nephew's uh, birthday. He was turning five. Um, Paris... Tennessee, and uh, so not quite the lavish getaway maybe you pictured for a second. Um, still have an Eiffel Tower, though. It's just much smaller and right across from a cemetery, and so it's just not as, like, romantic. Probably no proposals happening at that one. And so, uh, anyway, so we're in Paris, Tennessee, and my nephew, Levi, he just turned five years old, and um, he's really into uh, Hot Wheels, shout out, and dinosaurs. I can't really get with that one. And then uh, now he's into skateboarding. Um, which seems dangerous. Anyway, so he's really into all this stuff, and so you know how it is, or maybe you don't, let me tell you. When five-year-olds have birthday parties and a bunch of other five-year-olds come over, which, by the way, is for sure where I got the flu. Um, anyway, but a bunch of five-year-olds are coming over, and, you know, Levi starts opening his far too many presents. Actually, all the kids start opening Levi's presents, then we had to go correct that, you know. <laughs> if you open one more gift, seriously, uh, you know. And So they're all, Levi's opening all his presents, they're all watching, eh, great, and eating cake, all this stuff. And at the very end, they did the thing that uh, I think any five-year-old dude would want to do, and it's they got a stick, and they started hitting a pinata as hard as they could. I feel like just five-year-olds love destroying things. And so um, in, a good, in a good way, it's a redeeming quality in them somehow. I'll make a connection later. But anyway, so they're hitting this pinata, and then at the very end, right before the pinata's about to give, this five-year-old, who's small because he's five, but big for a five-year-old, comes up, and you can just tell, like, this dude plays baseball for real. Like, even as a five-year-old, he, like, had that, like, almost like this little vibe, you know what I'm saying? And his swing was, like, so authoritative and powerful, right? I actually checked with his dad, like, does he play baseball? He's like, yeah, he's a third baseman. I was like, oh, dad, I knew it. Uh." Gives him a real advantage at birthday parties. And so he takes one big swing, right? And then obviously, like, it's it's a really cool, he had the perfect pinata swing. Because a lot of candy, remember this? Like, a lot of candy actually fell out. Like, it wasn't one of those weak, like, two drops. Okay, hit it again, you know? Boom, it all falls out. And then the fun moment there is that if you're the guy that, that hits the pinata and the candy falls out, you got like three seconds of glory, right? Because it's just you and you're the closest one in proximity to the candy. And so you just watch this kid try to figure out, okay, I've got a lot of candy. That's not the issue. There's a lot of it. I've only got two hands, two pockets. Oh, he had a hoodie, four pockets, genius strategy. And then some wild animals about to attack this candy, like two seconds, right? And so you watch this guy not looking for abundance. The abundance is here. He just needs more hands. You just watch him scramble. He takes his winnings, right? Goes on the slide and then eats candy for the next 30 minutes. And so it was a really fun experience. And it reminded me that moment of like pure chaos when all the candy falls out, there's more candy than he can handle and you're just grabbing as quick as you can. It reminded me of, have you guys ever seen it's really weird, um, but the, the plastic tube that someone would get in and then they would dump in a ton of money. Yes. And then, yeah, right? And then they would turn this like fan on, I guess. And the money just started, a lot of you have seen this. Good, I thought this was old news. Um, good, um, I thought I was about to show my age for some reason. But money starts flying everywhere. And it's like this money tornado, which is like the only kind of tornado you ever want to be in. And it's kind of awesome, right? Because who doesn't want to be surrounded by money, right? That's just a good place to be. Like, I wish that was me right now. I wish I was just surrounded by cash. Uh, But it's also kind of sad because, do you know the rule? What's the rule about what money you get to keep? 
the money that you have in your hands, right? The money you can grab is the money you get to keep, right? And so there's money just flying everywhere. And it's awesome because, wow, what a cool situation. That's got to be thousands of dollars. But it's also kind of sad because you're watching them and they're like, and it's just so hard. And then when you actually have money to keep grabbing on to more of it, you know, you start doing like the finger grabs and you know what I mean? And so it's this moment where there's so much abundance, but you just don't have enough hands. And this is the image that came in my mind when I was thinking about Luke 10 this week. Because Jesus is going to talk about the abundance that is out there. And so often when we think about like sharing the gospel with the place, bringing the good news of Jesus, I think there's this internal assumption that I want to address this morning, that there's not abundance, that people are not ready to hear it. They're not ready to respond to it. There's not, the good news will not be received. But Jesus is actually going to say the opposite. He's going to sit down with a group of people about this size, funny enough, and he's going to tell them, hey, don't assume that there's not abundance out there as you go with this news. The, the harvest, you're going to hear me say this like a thousand times today, the harvest is plentiful. We just need more hands. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So we're going to be in Luke 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 specifically. And if you remember uh, from last week, I said, we're going to slowly walk through Luke chapter 10 over the next few weeks. And the big picture, the story goes... Uh, 72 people sitting in the presence of Jesus. He sends them out with power and authority. They go, they use his name, they proclaim it. Uh, A lot of really cool stuff happens. They come back like, Jesus, whoa, Uh, the demons respond to your name. Your name's powerful, it's really epic. And we're slowly walking through that story. And today, we're looking at sort of the pregame speech. All right, this is verses one through three. It's the moment where the coach is looking at his players in the locker room, but hey, look, we looked at all the film, We've practiced, you know the plays, it's time to go. Here's my final words, right? It's the moment where the director is sitting with the cast and going before the play, before the drama, and is like, look, you know your roles, you know your lines, you know the choreography, you know the timing, we're ready. And here's the inspiring words, all right? So Jesus is giving that little pregame pep talk here, okay? Um, So Luke 10, one through three, and I'd love to have uh, someone read that for our church. So if you're there and you've never read in front of the ruby before, you should do that. Yeah, come on. Yes, please. After this, Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. One more. Boom. Thank you so much. Can I get one more to read it? Just so we really hear it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So Jesus is looking at this group of 72 people, and that's about what's in here right now. There may be like 90 in here right now, but it's about this size of a group. It's kind of a good visual. So if you haven't looked at the room yet, look at it. That's kind of what Jesus is talking to. And he goes, hey, as you're about to go out, first things first, let's just go ahead and address this. The harvest is plentiful. Great news. Okay, and when we're saying this word harvest, and I'm going to say it so much, it's probably getting on your nerves. But when we're saying harvest, we're talking about like maybe gospel receptivity 
or people's willingness to hear the good news of the gospel and go, I, I believe it, I'm in. People that will hear that Jesus, the Messiah, has come and go, that's good news, I want more of that. Jesus is going, that response, that heart response, the harvest is plentiful. There's much to be had. So that's the reality we're going to sit under today. But take a moment to imagine being this group of 70, 72 people, and you know that the job is to go and to bear the news of the gospel for the first time, right? Like, they're going in pairs of twos to all these different towns, and they're saying the thing like, hey, the Messiah has come for the first time, at least for the first time that it was true. Maybe there were other like false messiahs, but at this point, it's like, okay, we're the ones introducing this new truth. And I don't know about you, maybe these people were full of faith. Maybe they were like, great, this should be easy. There you are, Jesus, you are the Messiah. I'll just go tell some people, they'll probably receive me well, maybe. But I wonder if anyone in there was like, is it plentiful? Is that the word, Jesus, that you should use at this moment? It's good news, right? Um, maybe the harvest is there if you squint your eyes and really pay attention. You'll see the harvest, right? But Jesus is going, no, no, no. The harvest is, if I had to think of a word, the one word I can think of, and Jesus has got to be the guy. If you had to only think of one word, you want him to be the one to come up with the word. He goes, the harvest is plentiful. And I wonder if there wasn't someone there going, okay, I hear you, because I know the town they're going to, and they're like so, they're just like the most devout Jewish people. They anticipate the Messiah so much, like they won't stop talking about when the Messiah's gonna get here. Like, oh yeah, the Messiah, Messiah, this, Messiah, that. Like whenever they go and say the good news is here, they're gonna be like, oh, finally, we've been waiting for this. But the town I'm going to, like where I'm gonna be, not so much, all right? They kind of like gave up on the whole like Jewish thing. They like their debauchery. They're just trying to get drunk tonight. Like that's all that's going down. If I go there and tell them the good news is here, they are gonna like shut the door, right? Like that's me. They go, I see the different towns that are going to, but where I'm going, right, is not plentiful. And yet Jesus in the same breath, meeting eyes with each person, understanding, right? Understanding there are a minimum of 70 towns being talked to right here. Like he's sending out two by two, like going to multiple towns each. And he knows the, the spiritual heritage, the backgrounds, the cultural climate, the spiritual temperature in each place. And he's looking after the whole crowd and saying, this applies to every one of you. Although you're going to different places, the message is the same. The harvest is plentiful. And I wonder, I just, I really, man, we, our teaching meeting Monday was lit. We like, we get together, we look at, at the passage and we just start brainstorming. What are you hearing from the Lord? And I was, Peyton, you were there. I was like fired up. I was like, oh, I want to preach this right now. I wonder if Jesus is wanting to look at this crowd and go, hey, Ruby, in Nashville, the harvest is plentiful. And right now there's a spirit in you that goes, yeah, maybe in South Nashville, like I'm in East. It ain't like that. Or, yeah, maybe at Vanderbilt. I'm at Belmont. It is not like that. I'm just trying to throw out examples that don't feel, I don't know. I went to Belmont, so I feel like I could target them. Um, and I had a great experience there, but still. Um, but, you know, like some of us immediately go, yeah, maybe like where you work. Like, not where I'm at. Like, maybe in the corporate world for some reason, but not in the music industry. Like, no, it's not. And Jesus is going, no, hey, listen, I know. I have accounted for your context. I've accounted for who you work with. 
I've accounted for who you play with, for where you hang out, for where you spend your time, for the demographic, for the spiritual stories, for the backgrounds, with the wounds, the frustrations. I've accounted for it. Hey, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is not the issue. And so quickly in me, when I hear this word, I immediately just think of the walls that I see in people. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, I'm like, are we looking at the same thing right now? Like, he's like talking like there's like all these open doors in front of me, but all I see is just like spiritual walls. You ever feel that? Yeah, right, the harvest is plentiful in Nashville. Get real. Like, there's so much just like, there's just barriers just all in the way. But I was reminded, and this, I don't know if this is cheesy or not, but man, when I pictured walls up, like spiritual walls, I literally just pictured Jericho and just being like, Jesus, you keep telling me there's victory. I just see a huge fortified city. And Jesus just responding in simplicity, going, just take a walk, praise my name, watch what happens to the walls, all right? Just like in faith. And I don't even know how to connect that in a seamless way. But I was just like reminded of like, oh wait, God is God, the Lord of the harvest. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. Where I see walls, he sees victory. Where I see giants, he sees the promised land. That's the God, that's the Lord of the harvest. Jesus goes, don't worry about the walls. The harvest is plentiful. I sense that in our city, there's a lot of like little weeds all of us have weeds, these, these little things, like the parable of the wheat and the tares, and I guess the tares are the bad thing. Anyway, but there's, there's weeds in our lives. There's wounds. There's baggage. There's pain. People have been scarred by church. Our culture is like soaked in cynicism. We're cynical people. We're negative. We're addicted. We're busy. There's all these things that I want to point out and go, Jesus, no, look at all the weeds. Oh, golly, this is not good. It's a lot of work. And Jesus is like, no, I'm talking to you and I'm addressing what you're looking at. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the harvest is plentiful. And I just felt like like we need to just think about where you live, who you spend time with, what they're like. And just picture Jesus sitting with you going, I'm very aware of your context. The words, the cadence, the tone, the eye contact is all the same. The harvest is plentiful. Praise the Lord, by the way. This is amazing news, okay? It's great news. And I was just reminded, like, me and uh, Leah and I, we've been going through this uh, Meaning of Marriage book. It's a daily devo. Kind of late, because we've been married for like a year and a half. Uh, but we're figuring out the meaning of marriage after getting married and, uh, with Tim Keller. And it's really awesome. And you just have this little, like, daily thing you read, whatever. Think about it. Pray about it. And I've just been realizing, like, oh, my goodness, the gospel, like the gospel story, the power of it, even the gospel like ethic, the ethic of the gospel, man, it changes a marriage. I'm like, every time I read a passage of scripture or like a word from Tim Keller, I'm like, if I do this, that's a big if, but if I do, my marriage will be amazing. Like if we will both do this, and that'd get a little broader because we're not all married, right? But we're going, oh, wait, what does the gospel do to brokenness? to despair, to hopelessness, to addiction, to pride, to selfishness, to lust. Like the gospel comes in. I just want to remind us, church, like the gospel is amazing news. Like whenever you're around someone that loves God and really does follow the Holy Spirit, that's a heck of a person to be around. I just want to remind us real quick. I know that, I don't know, I just feel like culture would have us believe Christians are on Twitter saying a lot of stupid things, which I'm not even convinced they're actual people. I think they're Russian bots making us look bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, but 
But man, like, no, like the gospel is the best news. If you know someone that really loves Jesus, is walking in humility, following after the Holy Spirit, that's an awesome person. Every time, the gospel is good news. It brings healing and redemption and restores. It it brings life to where death once was. That's what the gospel does. We do want more of that, believe it or not. I don't think we'll lead people to Jesus on Twitter, but I'm telling you, in real time, with real people, through relationship and the Holy Spirit's leadership, Jesus is telling the truth. The harvest is actually, legitimately, not metaphorically, but literally plentiful. It's actually there for you. People around you actually want to hear about Jesus. I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying it's always gonna go great and be super smooth and turn into a house church spontaneously, baptizing people in the Cumberland. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. But I am saying people actually do wanna hear the goodness of God. Their heart was made to hear it. Jesus is going, I formed the human heart. I promise you the harvest is plentiful. I've made the human heart to thirst for this truth that you're going out and bringing. And I've accounted for wherever you're at in Nashville. Whatever the climate, whatever the culture, I've accounted for it. The harvest is plentiful. This is a gut check moment for Christians. If you follow Jesus, check your heart. I gotta check mine. Do I believe this? Because if you believe it, it will change how you live. When you know something is there for the taking, you go take it. When you're not sure, you're hesitant. Jesus is going, hey, as you're going, go for the taking, because it's there. The harvest is plentiful. So the harvest is not the issue. What is the issue? He gets to it. But the laborers are few. It's not that there's not money all around you or candy falling on the ground. It's that you need like hands going out of your arms to grab it off. All right? He goes, no, it's not that there's no harvest. There's more harvest. You're about to go out and you're about to discover you need more of you. (laughs) Like you need more laborers. There's more out there than you even know to think. You keep hoping to find one apple tree. There's a whole orchard, all right? The harvest isn't the issue, all right? It's the laborers. The laborers are few. And this is a time where Jesus really gets real. He just lets us in on I'm just so glad, like, he sees it. Because have you ever felt outnumbered, you know? Ever been like, there's just not a whole lot of Christians just everywhere. Like, there's just not a whole lot of people that just super love God and are cool about it, you know what I mean? Do you ever feel outnumbered? Like, Jesus is like, yeah, it's real. We're, we're kind of lacking some laborers. This is that moment where I remember when I went to uh, Christian Fellowship, my Christian school, shout out, shout out, in seventh grade, and we had a basketball team of eight players, and we lost always. And um, when you have a basketball team of eight players, five of them start, and I wasn't a starter, and so I was really bad. I know I told you that before, but I just want to remind you how bad I was at sports. And uh, I remember we played this school at Marshall County Public School. So already they're better, um, but also they were a really good public school. And it'd just be like this moment before the game where the coach would just get real with us. He'd just go, look, they're bigger than us. And we're like, thank you. Thanks for not lying to it. Yeah, we see it. Are you scared? We're scared, right? Like, it's like, okay, good. We thought they were bigger than us. They're kind of better than us. Yeah, we thought that. We thought they were better than us. And like, Jesus is sort of leveling with us. Okay, hey, look. There's not a lot of yeah out there, all right? It's kind of cool to be a group of 70, kind of small, kind of elite, agile, sneaky. But at the end of the day, when the goal is the world, that group becomes infinitely small, right? He goes, look, I understand. We're trying to change the whole world, and we got a small group, a glorified small group here. Here's how you respond to that news. Whenever you feel outnumbered, whenever you go, we need more hands out here. We need more laborers for the kingdom of Jesus. He gives us two things to respond with. First, 
He goes, pray earnestly for more laborers. Huge. Pray earnestly for more laborers. He goes, don't be cynical. Don't complain about it. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Don't look at the size of the giants and go, I think we're kind of small. He goes, no, 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 no. Pray earnestly for more laborers. Earnestly, to pray sincerely out of intense conviction. In some ways, that siren's getting me hyped. I don't know why, but it's like, let's go. Anyway, um, we're on fire. Um, It was an animal, it's not a fire truck, so that didn't apply. Um, All right. Pray for more laborers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray earnestly and with conviction for more laborers. He goes, hey, whenever you notice, whenever you look around and go, wow, there's a lot of loving to do, there's a lot of gospel to bring, and there's not a lot of us. He goes, hey, respond like this. Don't fret, don't be scared, don't worry about the storm. I got it. Pray for more laborers. And just to remind, I don't know how often this is in your prayer life. It's not often in mine. I'm like praying for people that I, I want to see come to Jesus, praying for some things that are on my heart, confessing sin, yada, yada, yada. But rarely am I going, God, will you send just more people that just love you with all their heart, soul, and mind? Send more. Bring them up. We're trying to, we're trying to get it going out here. We're really trying to see gospel life spread up in our city. Will you just send more? God, send me more people that love you like I love you. Get them out here. Let's get, to, let's get to work. A few weeks ago, I was like, hey, as a church, let's spend some time praying for our church. I don't know about you. That feels good to me. I love praying for our church. Like, oh, yeah, we're like a living thing. God, let's go. Grow us. Mature us. Bring more of us. And Jesus goes, hey, when you notice that you're outnumbered, just pray for more hands. Make that a point in your prayer life. God, give me more people that want to see your goodness sprouting up. Give me more people that understand that you really are the source of the abundant life, that you really are freedom. Give me more people that know that to the core of their heart and put them alongside of me so we can get to work. Is pray. Pray sincerely. Pray earnestly. Pray with conviction. God, we need more, and the Lord of the harvest will take care of it. Side note, this is a really cool identity moment. Maddie, if I was to look at you, and go, Maddie, I wish there was more people like you in our church. That'd feel good, wouldn't it? I do wish that. But if I was like, I wish there was more of you. That'd feel good. Wouldn't it feel good if someone you looked up to said, I wish there was more people like you in the world? It's like, oh, sweet. All right. I didn't have to pat myself on the back. You low-key just did it for me. That's awesome. Jesus is doing this with this group of people. This is a really cool moment. He goes, hey, you are laborers. That's you. As you go... Pray for more people like you. And that really caught me off guard this week. I was in my teaching meeting with Alyssa and Peyton and Sarah. And I was like, Alyssa, we need more of you. I really wish there was more people like you in my church. I want more of you. Peyton, I want more of you. I want more people like you in my church. Sarah, I was like, oh man, that's a really encouraging thing to hear. And Jesus is looking at you. And I just wonder if some of you need to hear this. Like, yes, with Jesus, we always need to be growing. There's always room to grow. We're always being sanctified. We're giving them more of our heart. We're being matured in the spirit. But some of you need to just press time out for a second and know that Jesus is looking at you going, I'm so proud of you. I wish there was more of you. Like you're doing such a good job. Like pray that more people like you will show up to this scene because we need it. And just like receive that child of God. Like I just wonder if anyone was like, when Jesus said, hey, you're the laborers, go pray for more laborers. They weren't like, 
All right. I will. You're right. Golly, there's just not a lot of me in here. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need more of this. You know what I mean? They probably didn't do that but, because he's just like right there. But you know what I'm saying? Like just receive that identity. Like some of you, you're following Jesus. Man, you're being obedient. You're praying. Like you're following him. Just hear Jesus going, I'm proud of you. I pray for more people like you. If that isn't just affirming, I don't know if that, you get what I'm saying? Marinating that. That's good stuff right there. He wants to tell you you're doing awesome. All right. Um, So first step, pray for more. Um, Second step, uh, go. So you pray, pray for more people like you. But then secondly, as you're praying for them, as you're praying for laborers, be a laborer, right? So he's saying pray for more laborers, but he's saying that as he is sending them out. So we don't obviously wait for more people to show up. We're not waiting for backup. We're, We're going as we pray for more, right? And so it says, go. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read a passage like Luke 10, and it says, go, go do it, go do the thing, my first question is like, where? I envy these 72 people because I'm assuming they each had assigned towns. And don't you just sometimes wish that Jesus would just sit down and go, hey, go right there, now. You're like, I can do that. Don't got to discern that at all. Here we go. You know what I mean? Because with me, at least, I grew up kind of in a context where like mission or missionaries were like big, shiny things, very special, very elite. They always go to some other continent, right? And mission always felt like synonymous with uncharted, unknown, unfamiliar, uncomfortable, big deal, huge sacrifice, blah, 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 blah. All of that could be true. God could easily put it on your heart to move to a different state, a different country, a different job, blah, 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 blah. And that's, it really does get really good in those moments. Like the Holy Spirit is totally on that and anoints that. So I'm not discrediting that God will sometimes call you into the mysterious and it is for the good of the world and the good of your soul every time. That's very true. But also in this moment in Luke 10, they're being sent to town to talk about the gospel for the very first time ever right? We find ourselves in the context where a lot of people have heard of the gospel, right? They know of that. And so I think for some of us, we just need to know that when we go, okay, go, but where? It's probably where you're already going. You're just reinforming how you go there, right? This is what Cody talked about a few weeks ago. We were talking about having eyes to see and hearts to engage. He's like, hey, believe that there's a harvest. Pray for more laborers. Go as a laborer and go with eyes to see and hearts to engage. And so as we go to the places where we live, with our roommates, with the places that we work, the places that we play, that we hang out, that we chill out, all these places is saying, keep going there. Until the Spirit leads you somewhere else, just keep going there. But let this word inform how you enter into that space. God, I am entering into a space I'm always entering But today I'm entering knowing that the harvest is plentiful. Give me eyes to see it. Help me see just how plentiful the harvest is right here, right now. And then verse three starts getting into, now how do you go? So as you go, wherever you're going, how do you go? And this part is is pretty interesting. Jesus says, go as, someone tell me what verse three says. Go as what? A sheep among wolves, a lamb among wolves. And This was not the sweetest, like, poetic moment. Think about what uh, a lamb's attack plan, like, just picture a bunch of lambs getting together, all these sheep, and they're going, all right, see that wolf over there? 
You know, how are we going to attack it? Right? You've never thought about that because it's never happened. Because wolves kill sheep a hundred out of a hundred times. Right? And so Jesus gives this kind of weird picture. He goes, the harvest is plentiful. Oh, let's go. The laborers are few. Pray for more. And you're a laborer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now here's how you're going to go. As lambs among wolves. What? Are we going to die? <laughs> you know, it's like, like, what's happening? But this is so powerful because think about a lamb, how vulnerable and defenseless a lamb is. And Jesus is going, you're going with the posture that you're not going to have some big, brilliant, beautiful, American, efficient attack plan that's going to save the whole world. You're not going to do it out of the strength you muster, out of how brilliant you are. You're going to walk in there gentle, soft, vulnerable, led in a way that only the Holy Spirit will reveal the harvest. Only the Holy Spirit will bring life. That's what he's saying. You're going as lamb among wolves, as a lamb among wolves. No attack plan, just going with eyes to see, and only the Holy Spirit will bring life. Later on, he's going to say, don't take anything with you. I mean, he's literally sending them seemingly helpless. Of course, they're not, but it seems that way. Like, leave everything behind and just go and trust the Spirit. So as we go, trusting the harvest is plentiful, praying for more laborers, being a laborer, as in lamb among wolves, we go, God, do things only you can do. I'm going to use my words. I'm going to use my actions. I'm going to do everything I can as I follow your spirit. But I know and trust it will not be by might. It will not be by personal strength or my own intellect or my own genius that someone comes to know you, Jesus. It'll be because the Holy Spirit was my leader. And you bring life in places where life has never existed. That's the only thing that's going to happen here. And so this morning, I just want to invite us over communion to, to wrestle with kind of the belief in our hearts. The harvest is plentiful wherever you're at. And this is not some like pep talk to make you feel good. I hope it does. But I'm telling you facts. Jesus is going. The spiritual, recept- the spiritual receptivity is higher than you can ever imagine. People actually want to hear the good news of Jesus, despite what you're reading on your phones. They do. They need to know the redeeming work of Jesus. And so this morning, it's going, it's kind of three prayer points I had. If you want to write these down, that might be helpful, um, or you can just remember them. But, but first, God, help me believe the harvest is plentiful. Just address the cynicism, skepticism, doubt in your own heart. It, it knocked on my heart this week. But God, help me believe. Or if you're like me, sometimes it helps to declare something that you're not fully there on, but it kind of helps you get there and go, God, the harvest is plentiful. Thank you. (laughs) Like, just God, the harvest is plentiful. Picture your place of work. The harvest is plentiful. Picture where you hang out on the weekends. The harvest is legitimately plentiful. You're not kidding. It is. Picture your neighborhood. The harvest is plentiful. Hone in on that. Believe that this morning. Secondly, God, I am your laborer. And that is such a cool identity piece that we've kind of fleshed out here. Like Jesus saying, I need more people like you. You're one of those people, so you're going to go and pray for more like you. So I just want to sit in the presence of God and go, God, thank you. I'm your laborer. I'm looking. Like I'm your laborer, and I'm looking for the harvest. That's who I am. Let's get it going. Let's get to work. And then number three, God, thank you that I don't do this alone. So something we didn't even touch on because it felt like this was just so full of rich content but he sends them out two by two. This isn't like a lone wolf journey. It's not a solo journey. We're not Superman. It's not us. He sends them out two by two. And for us just to know that you're not being tasked to 
do this on your own, that the Holy Spirit's with you, God is with you 100%, but also, like, remember the community around you. Whenever you have questions, whenever you need help, whenever you want to go somewhere, but you want someone to come with you, like, keep in mind that even Jesus is elite. He says, hey, two of you at a time, all right? Don't go on your own. Like, you two, you two, you two. And so that third prayer point is just, God, help me to remember I'm not alone. Help me to think smart. I got people around me. Help me to take advantage of the resources you've given me. That's kind of the three prayer points. And this morning around communion, I honestly just want us to flesh out how we're feeling about this word, like what it means that Jesus says this. What are some things that were kind of percolating in your heart as I was speaking? The Holy Spirit says something. And I'd love for us to talk as a family. Um, So if you're newer here, I don't know if you've done this a lot in the past month, but I like to do it. Um, I love to circle up in groups of like three to five and just to share, where'd you hear God this morning? What was kind of coming to your mind as we talked about the harvest? What are some things that were hard? What are some things you were excited about? And just to share with one another, I've just learned that as we dialogue with each other, as we share, as we listen, it just helps us carry the word with us throughout the week. It helps us retain what we've been discussing. And so I'm gonna invite us to grab communion and then come back and circle our chairs in groups of three to five. Literally, you can move your chairs and just discuss what was on your heart and then pray together, take communion. Now, if you're introverted this morning or a tired extrovert and you're not feeling it, don't do it. There's never pressure on that. But if you're willing and you, there's someone in your circle you haven't met, introduce yourself and let's have some good conversation. Let's talk about where we were hearing God this morning. So I'm gonna pray over us. Um, we're gonna grab communion. Um, and then we're gonna sing a song that's really powerfully about communion. Um, if you're not familiar with communion, it's really cool. So anyway, um, God, thank you for um, your life, for your spirit. Will you lead us, lead our conversations? God, this is where our people, we get a chance to really talk about the word and wrestle with what we've heard. And so help us to, be courageous, to be open, and Holy Spirit, will you be the the anchoring point of all of our conversations? Um, The harvest is plentiful. It is. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.